You're listening to the fourth season of the Prophetic Imagination Station, Frank Peretti's America. I'm D.L. Mayfield, a writer and neighbor. And I'm Crispin Mayfield, a therapist. Together, we like to overthink evangelical artifacts from the 80s and 90s. This season, we're doing a deep dive into Frank Peretti's best-selling novel, This Present Darkness. Thanks for listening. We're really excited about this conversation with Leah Payne that Danielle did this interview. Uh, but first, we wanted to let you guys know about a thing that we're going to be doing this month, which we're very excited about. We're going to take the next three Sunday nights to watch some TV shows that a lot of evangelical families grew up watching on Sunday and sometimes Saturday nights. So we're really excited about that. Touched by an Angel, mm-hmm. Promised Land. We're going to start with Dr. Quinn. Oh, Just, right. We're starting with Dr. Quinn. Right, yeah. And Danielle was like, I was like, which episode should we do? And she was like, well, the trailer, this happens in the, the or the, the yeah. pilot. She was like, was just able to quote from memory, like the first Well, I could have gotten it really wrong, you know. <laughs> it's funny that well. you believe me. That's... Well, you know. I mean, you were watching the commentary on that thing you do, but you didn't actually have to have the movie pulled up because you could just, like, bring it to your memory. So I watch that thing you do a lot. That's right. I haven't watched Dr. Quinn that much. But, yeah, so, you know, if you're like us and you're a Christian evangelical kid who grew up in the 90s, you maybe watched some television on the weekends with your right. family and it was special. But in our family, it was like, what is TGIF? I have no, like... We didn't watch that. We no. didn't watch, right? We had TGIS. <laughs> yes. Thank goodness it's Sunday, right? Thank God for this Sabbath. Thank God <laughs> That's for this. not actually what TGIS Oh my gosh. Spells. So, we, so here's the deal. We're going to be inviting people to watch an episode of one of these shows with us for the next three Sundays. We'll find an episode on YouTube that anybody can watch. And what we need to come up with a hashtag. <laughs> Maybe that's it. What is that? Thank tea? goodness it's Sabbath. No, thank God for this Sabbath. <laughs> thank God. I can't even think and do that right now. What is PG. We'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> well, I was saying we should do a touch by the television, right? Yeah, it sounds too, too <laughs> sketchy. Lord's Day, Sunday. Yeah. Oh, Sunday, Lord's Day. Hashtag S- Sunday, Lord's Day. Oh, yeah. Sunday, Lord's Day. Well, Lord's, you know, you Lord's TV. <laughs> I'm in the Lord's TV. <laughs> I like thank God for this Sabbath. I don't know. Hashtag Sabbath has television resistance, right? Oh yeah, right. Yeah, it was just a big deal to have these shows on the TV that were Christiany. Mm-hmm. What? Do, okay, what about Seventh Heaven? Yeah, I didn't grow up watching that. Well, we sort of did, but then it got like really, you know. Not appropriate. Mm, so we had mm-hmm. to stop watching it. I mean, there the runners up, right? One would be early edition. Did your family watch that? Uh, yeah. Right. Any it other? Was as Christiany? No. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Was that the guy? Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole other. Joan thing. of Arcadia. That yeah. Was later, I love that show. I would love to rewatch that show. Honestly. Right. But I feel like that was more like irreverent than anything. It was, but my mom was kind of into it. Oh, so. that's funny. My mom kind of ruled the television roost. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. She still does. Uh-huh. Okay. So, anyways, we're very excited about that. Got to do, you know, what are you going to do with your one wild and precious quarantine? We're right. just going to deep dive, pick a few choice episodes 
pick a time on a Sunday evening. Everybody can watch along. Mm-hmm. It'll tweet, be and tweet along. Should we do 4 p.m. Pacific? Sure. Yeah. I love how we're just making this up as we record, but yes, that's fine. <laughs> oh, what else do we have to do? Um, right. So we'll watch it. We'll send out like the video, the link, yeah. because these are available on YouTube. Uh-huh. Not great quality. If you want to like purchase the episode, you can, but you can watch it for free. And watch it with your kids. We'll have our kids around, and they'll mm-hmm. probably be like, "This is so boring and stupid." But right. You know yeah. I was forced to sit and watch these things, so they will be too. Mm-hmm. I was not forced. You liked it. I mean, like, when out, like, we just didn't watch that much TV. So, like, if the TV's on. They're always so dramatic. That's true. So that was hard for me. Mm. I know. I remember my mom would just cry every week. Oh, right? I mean, everyone's mom cried. My mom cried. would, too. We always make fun of her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she always cried during Touch by Angel. Okay, so there's that. So, yeah, uh, I recorded this interview with Leah Payne. Oh, what? And now, like a few months ago, and mm-hmm. it was interesting, like just re-listening to to a few show notes. You know, her even bringing up stuff like Liberty University, sort of being this epicenter of like anti-intellectualism, and yet they also are a university at the same time. It just made me think about how you know Liberty didn't close down because mm-hmm. of COVID nineteen and and all that stuff that happened. And yeah, I think it was really great just to talk to a historian, a church historian who actually has talked to Frank Peretti. Whoa. Okay. That's a big deal. And then for two, she absolutely validated our entire season um, <laughs> as a church, hist- like a history person. Right. Yeah. A history person. I sound so cool <laughs> when I say it like that. So that was awesome. And she's a very cool podcast um, that is really fun and, and really well produced called Weird Religion. So. She's quite familiar with weird religion things. I I do think after talking to her and actually, you know, when we weren't recording, her first book is on women in Pentecostalism. And and that's just such a rabbit trail. It'd be really fun to go down someday. We only just brush the surface of it. But yeah, I think she she definitely makes the point that Frank Preddy wrote the best selling Pentecostal novel of all time. Which I know that sounds niche, but it's also a big deal. Like, there's mm-hmm. a lot of Pentecostals in the world. So I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah. So good for us for doing a whole podcast about this Christmas. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, I mean, it was really interesting because we've been thinking in the context of evangelicalism, and she just, like, really talks about, like, what are the streams and traditions and where did this show up and et cetera. So I thought it was really, really fascinating. Yeah. Have I told my story about going to a Pentecostal Bible college on here? I don't think so. Should I tell it really quick? Yeah. It's, like, two sentences, but it's great. Okay. So because I was raised to believe that the end times were coming. I never actually planned to go to college. And so I didn't make any plans to go to college. So I did YWAM right out of high school. I graduated a year early because I was homeschooled. Uh, so I was 17 when I did YWAM. Then after that, I was like, I don't want to do YWAM my whole life. So I was 18 years old. And I was like, wait a minute, should I apply to college? Which I never thought about doing before. I only heard of two colleges. One of them was my sister's ex-boyfriend's Bible college in L.A., so I just applied to that, and uh, I got in, and it turned out to be a Foursquare Bible College, which uh, Leah talks about being Foursquare. And so I just knew, like, my sister's ex-boyfriend was Foursquare, but I didn't know what it was. I ended up going there and wandering around and being like, oh, this is really interesting. Like, that person speaks in tongues, and that person does, and wow, so does that person? And oh, my gosh, it's like everybody speaking in tongues. <laughs> 
<laughs> and that's what I realized. I was at a Pentecostal Bible college. And it actually ended up being like a really horrible year and a half, year and some change for me. And uh, people would try and have prayer sessions over me every other weekend to speak in tongues. But I was stubborn, as we've talked about. Mm-hmm. So anyways... I, Foursquare, whatever. I, I think they're fine. They're a bit more progressive than maybe some strains of Pentecostalism, but they still got their issues. Mm-hmm. They still got them issues. Um, yeah, so I thought this was a great interview, and uh, we only have one more interview left, and then you and I will do a wrap-up yeah. session about this. And uh, halfway through this interview, we're going to insert a little – it's not like an ad, but we're going to do a little clip of our most recent Patreon-only episode, which was really fun. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about really – briefly about that christmas yeah we um read a brio magazine which is focused on the families magazine for teen girls uh and that was our patreon members actually voted on that and then we had to get our hands on it i was so mad at them and then it actually was really fun to do yeah it was especially like having our background with adventures and odyssey yeah like it just like really connected um like yeah, but Focus on the Family doing a teen magazine for girls is wild. And That's also, still going on today. We listened to some of my favorite pop songs, uh-huh. and Danielle gave a critique of them. Yeah. Because Danielle hates music. So we'll insert a little clip of there, but uh, you can join us on our Patreon community. It's really fun. And uh, let's go to the interview. Well, today I am so excited because I get to talk with Leah Payne. Am I saying that right? Yes. Thank you. You are. Thanks. Okay. So Leah, you are a lot of things. One of uh, your many jobs is hosting a podcast, which is very fun and very, very smart. And I just got into it and I'm so happy somebody recommended it to me on Twitter. Uh, Why don't you tell everybody about your podcast and then about the rest of your life? Oh, thank you so much. First of all, I really enjoy yours and I'm I'm so honored to be on it right now. So thank you. Um, I host a podcast, co-host a podcast called Weird Religion. And it's a podcast that I do with a friend of mine who is a a colleague. We are professional nerds, academics, and um, we both really enjoy to geek out about like the intersection of religion and pop culture. So um, we usually start with some sort of we call them artifacts, but like TV show, or it could be like a weird viral YouTube video or something. And then we just talk about religion. So, uh, we enjoy it. We both come from religious backgrounds. So we think religion is weird, but we are also religious ourselves. So that's, that's us. Wow. I think if people are listening to this podcast, they probably fit into that category as (laughs) well. Right. (laughs) Right? (laughs) If there's like a Venn diagram, I feel that there would be a lot of overlap. It's weird. (laughs) We know religion's weird, but we're still weirdly religious, right? So, yes, absolutely. And so both of your academics and both of you teach at George Fox? Yes, we do. Yes. My colleague's a biblical scholar and I am a church historian. So I like to study very, the, the weirder the better when it comes to, um, the, the technical term is new religious movements. So religious movements that start, you know, like a hundred years or less. So I like that stuff. Interesting. Wow. And so does Frank Peretti fit into church history and weird religion? Give us your quick take. (laughs) (laughs) The short answer, the quickest take is yes. Yes. Definitely. I think he's, um, well, he comes from a new religious movement himself. He's um, uh, Assemblies of God pastor. And that that movement is around 100 years old, the Pentecostal movement. So that in and of itself is something. And I think that he represents one of the things 
one of the reasons why his writings are really interesting to me is that he represents um, a the a best selling version of an Assemblies of God worldview. So not the only Assemblies of God, I'm sure, because there's a lot of there, there are a lot of them, <laughs> but um, to me, that's why he's super, one of the reasons why he's super interesting. So he has, he basically creates a pop culture phenomenon um, in the late eighties that um, it, it's a version of Christianity that had not gone mainstream um, in the, in that same scale. So that's why I think he's a fascinating guy. Yeah. And so for people who really aren't familiar with assemblies of God, you know, I think most people would know that they are Pentecostal, um, but what does that exactly mean? Oh, that is a great question. So for me, the Assemblies of God, the way I describe assemb- the Assemblies is, um, so I grew up in the Foursquare Church, which is another version of Pentecostalism. And I always say that Foursquare is the Assemblies of God without big hair <laughs> or, t- <laughs> or or quite as many televangelists. Um, so the, the Assemblies of God is, uh, it was born in the early 20th century. Um, most big Pentecostal movements or almost all of the all of them trace their origins to the Azusa Street Revival, which is this huge revival that happened in, in the Los Angeles area. And from that movement, lots of different versions of Pentecostalism were born. And it's basically, um, it, like, it depends on who's explaining Pentecostalism, but I think of it as a series of, of practices um, that include a lot of weird stuff like um, praying for divine healing or most famously, the idea of, of speaking in tongues. But mm-hmm. it's basically this idea that the, the Holy Spirit is super present, working today in the same way that the Spirit worked in the, the Bible times, and that we can and should engage in the spiritual world. And so to me, Peretti is super obviously Assemblies of God, because from the outset, this present darkness um, it starts with this idea that there's this spiritual world that not everybody sees, but everyone is engaged in, in some, you know, level or another. So one question I have right away is Frank Peretti did not talk about speaking in tongues in this present darkness. And I do think you're right that that's one of the most like at least visible or present hallmarks of Pentecostalism. Mm -hmm. And there's so many like if you if you grew up where that was normal, it's normal. And if you didn't, right, it's it's sort of wild. And I have a little bit of experience with that in my own background, but um, I did not necessarily grow up Pentecostal. So for one, I'm really curious about that. And then for two, how you were just describing it was this awareness of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you know, is alive, working today. And that really did differentiate from other denominations who were cessationists, right, who said, mm-hmm. you know, that was only for the early church. That's not how the Holy Spirit works anymore. But this present darkness in Peretti doesn't actually mention the Holy Spirit um, at all. And instead, it focuses so much on the demonic. And so maybe the flip side of the Holy Spirit, I, I don't know. I'm still kind of confused, right? Because yes, it oh, is and it good. isn't like the theology I have heard in Pentecostal spaces. Oh, that is a great question. And I can definitely tell that you have direct experience in those, uh, that you've been a traveler among the Pentecostals in some way (laughs) or another. Um, Yeah. So I, I think of, to me, Peretti's vision is sort of like um, the, how 
theological people talk about the book of Esther. So if you read the book of Esther, there's like not a lot of God in there. Right. right. Um, but, and so a lot of times um, people, Christian people especially are like preoccupied with finding a certain version of God present in every single Bible and every single verse. And so then they will say like, oh, it's, you know, it's providence or um, like there's, there's a providential hand. And I think that um, in some ways I think of Peretti in that way, that there's this um, sort of backstory or, or um, version of understanding who God is and how God works in the world that's present. And it's sort of a, um, it's something that you would recognize if you grow up in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not necessarily like he goes out of his way. I just reread this present darkness about a year ago and he goes out of his way to make the churches actually kind of generic. Right. So there's like the good church and the bad church. I don't know how, how, if you're having, you should have a book club, a Peretti book club, but you know, to reread it, but um, so there's like the, basically the liberal mainline church. I think you know, it's not really um, named as such. And then the conservative, but um, it's sort of, it, to me, the theological ideas represented in that church are recognizably um, Pentecostal because they engage in so much spiritual warfare. Like this idea that, that Christians are agents of, of God's um, fighting work in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, so you're right, they don't speak in tongues, um, but they do do a lot of other things that Pentecostals are familiar with. And even in the early days, like this idea that you would have some sort of ecstatic vision or ecstatic experience, many of the characters have that. Mm-hmm. Um, they have like this kind of sixth sense that something is amiss, yeah. um, you know, like with the psychologist or something like that. Um, so I, yeah, to me... Uh, now you were you traveled with the Pentecostals to, for a certain um, amount of time. Did did it seem Pentecostal to you when you came back to it, kind of more as an adult? Yeah, I, well, part of my own background is that my dad was very not into anything charismatic, and my mom really was. And my dad was a pastor in like rural small town churches that sort of seemed very familiar in Frank Peretti's work, and so I really it just felt like my life. Right, you were both. Pentecostal and not. And um, so I sensed a lot of that. And now as I'm talking to you, I'm just thinking maybe that's one of the reasons why it was such a breakout hit is because people who did come from Pentecostal backgrounds could be like, yes, this is it. This is our worldview and like a novel. And then other people who weren't necessarily in that world, they also had space to see themselves. But it sort of, um, you know, pushed people to want to be more aware of the spirit world, the spirit realm. You know, I was talking to a journalist who was saying basically that prayer walking became a big thing after this book came out. Like that's a lot of cultural influence and cultural power. And maybe it's because he, he did try and make it more generic. And I never really thought about that until you mentioned it. It's kind of funny. It's, I I love that. I love your reflection because I, I think you're right. I think in the eighties and the nineties, the the version of Pentecostalism that seemed, I think, very distasteful to traditional, especially in white evangelical circles, um, like traditional Pentecostal practices borrow heavily from the black church. Mm-hmm. And, and so like in the early days, Pentecostals of any racial or ethnic group were associated with African-American worship and African-American people and in very racist, um, 
20th, early 20th century America, that was just automatically seen as terrible. Mm. And so I think that the, but, but by the time Frank Peretti's writing, the movement was about around 80 years old. And I think that in some ways, those practices have by that time had kind of become a little bit more normal in, in white evangelical circles. And so, um, the idea that people would even accept some of these, um, the notions in, in the book, like the idea that people are not just living their regular lives, they are in actively engaged in some sort of spiritual battle and it needs to be one side or the other. That is like apocalyptic and and also I think like super exciting and entertaining in some ways. I mean, I, yeah. I grew up in that, that world and I remember it's an exciting world to be in. Cause you're not just like driving to the store and looking for a parking spot. You're like, God's got me on a mission, you know, and I don't know what it's going to be. And it's, you know, it's very adventurous. So, um, I think that, that it, the home that you grew up in, it, it couldn't have been all that unusual. Um, you know, maybe if if both of your parents were, you know, definitely one side or the other, maybe that was not the norm. But I think the idea that more and more people were getting used to this um, way of looking at the world, it you weren't alone. You couldn't have been. Yeah. And so I know that you actually ended up interviewing Frank Peretti for a project. And yes. I'm just wondering what you can tell us about that experience, because he's pretty notoriously not into interviews. Is that right? Yes, he is. And, um, he, it it took a long time for me to track him down and I I'm working on a book. I I think that Frank Peretti's book is a, um, an underappreciated source of theology in Pentecostal, um, Christianity, as well as in just evangelical, um, Christianity in general. And by underappreciate, I mean, people don't appreciate how influential it has been. Um, usually if, if someone were to pick a book series that was like, ah, this shaped, or this explains where white evangelicalism is now, they would almost always, probably to a person, cite the Left Behind series. But to me, Peretti's book, which precedes the Left Behind series, um, is, is just like hugely important. So um, I, I went to um, fairly great lengths to try and track him down. And he was kind enough to speak with me. And first off, he was so, um, such a nice person. (laughs) I was, I was really excited, um, and grateful to find that out because, um, you know, the book is so intense Mm -hmm. or at least my experience of the book. I read it. uh, It was read to me as like a fifth grader, which if you think about the themes in that, oh my goodness, (laughs) that's pretty intense. Um, and then I reread it as an adult and I wasn't, I was like, what is his personality going to be like? But he was, uh, just very kind, very gracious, um, answered all of my questions. Um, and one of the things that I was interested in was, you know, what did he, how did he interpret his relationship to the book versus the fans relationship. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to like geek out hardcore here. I hope that's okay. But (laughs) so, um, there's this, there's this movie called the people versus George Lucas, and it's about the relationship between star Wars fans to star Wars and then to George Lucas. And 
oftentimes the fans have really different takes on what Star Wars is and what it means Mm -hmm. than George Lucas, the creator. And so it's this whole question of like, does the creator really, are they the person responsible for the art or are the fans, you know, like the people that actually do something different with it? Are they responsible? So when I asked him, for example, you know, what is it about, um, what do you do with the fact that people have created entire theological worlds based on this present darkness? Um, and his answer was fascinating to me. And it, he, he basically said, I'm a storyteller. You know, I wrote this to, to write a really interesting book. Um, I wanted like plotting and pacing um, to be something that catches people's attention. I wanted to tell a good story. He said, I'm not writing theology here, right? Mm-hmm. I am not. Um, that that's not something that I was trying to do. To me, that was fascinating because since you and I grew up um, with this this story in our part of our theological landscape, I I was stunned because I thought, really, you didn't think you know? Um, because people have done a lot with it, so yeah. I don't know if that's surprising, but I was surprised by that. Yeah, somebody, a historian, was saying that. In his later books he published, he put disclaimers in front of them saying it's not like a spiritual warfare manual. But I do, I I feel like, of course, that's probably true for him in some sense. And then in another sense, he was absolutely putting forth his worldview and, and worldview is theology, mm-hmm. right? And how you um, interact, like how you answer the question, how are we supposed to live our lives and how are we supposed to live in relationship to our neighbors in a pluralistic society where we might be losing cultural power? That's a theological, ethical question in my mind. And he absolutely was responding to that. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, it's funny. It's I, I, to me, I, I've, I've turned that conversation around in my mind so many times um, because I'm interested in the kinds of art and media and art, maybe like we'll put that in quotations, but um, art and media that, that were created in the 20th century by evangelicals for and by evangelicals um, and what that, what that means and, and what the lingering effects of that are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that maybe many people could say that like many artists that were dominant um, in that time. Like I think of Amy Grant or Michael Mm -hmm. W. Smith. And incidentally, I mean, you may have already talked about this on the podcast, but Amy Grant is one of the major reasons why Peretti's work took off. Um, Yeah. So, so that kind of art, um, I think that it's hard to say because, you know, I haven't created a a best-selling Pentecostal theological landscape. So I don't know how I would answer that question. Um, In some ways, I sort of sympathize with the idea that I don't want to be responsible for everything that people do with my work. I don't know. Do you feel like, have people riffed on what you've written in a way that you think, oh, that is not me? Yes. And so I think part of being an artist or an author is recognizing you don't have control over how people will respond. Mm -hmm. But that's a little different from saying, I didn't intend this to be theology or to, you know, put forth an idea of how the world might work. And I think he is a really imaginative person. You know, his strong points are really just his his ability to write a thrilling book. And uh, it's not boring. It's can be horrifying and interesting and, you know, all that, but it's not boring. And so I do, I do wonder a little bit about possibly his background being Assemblies of God 
I from from what I have read, he always felt a little weird about his mainstream Christian success, right? And so he of course, both appreciated some aspects and then always felt a little bit like he was maybe a bad boy of Christian publishing because <laughs> he has some differing views. Um, but I think other guests we've talked to have basically said, um, you know, this present darkness is maps perfectly over like the moral majority's political agenda. And I'm not saying that he wrote it exactly for that, but it fits so neatly. <laughs> That many people took it and ran with it. And I, I think we even see that in our current political landscape, though some of those exact same ideas of how to approach the world, how to approach power and the over-spiritualization of, you know, people in power getting attacked. And that's probably Satan, all that. I'm like, I can trace mm-hmm. that back to Peretti. And it's not his fault, but he certainly is a part of why this happened. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I think definitely we have to say that he wrote what he believed. Um, yeah. You know, especially since subsequent books were, there's a consistent um, set of ideas about the world and about the Christian's um, responsibility to act in in certain ways and also about the the political orientations. Um, I, so I'm not an ethicist, so, or a theologian. So I, I'm not, I, yeah, I, I, it's not that I'm not interested in that because I am, am a Christian. And so I think that we should all be interested in those things like what should we do in the world and how should we live? Um, but I, I'm a historian and I'm most interested in, in how that, that, um, set of values changes over time. So I do agree that a lot of things that are present in this present darkness, um, are, you can see like a direct lineage, like people are, are like grabbing on to certain things. Like, um, I don't know why, but this is the one that keeps coming to my mind. The, the skepticism toward higher education. Well, obviously it's cause it's my job. Um, so, <laughs> you know, like I want job security. I'm like, they're, they're like, to me, um, this, there's a, a suspicion about higher ed, um, especially since like all the bad things happen in in that first book, like in the basement of a university, I think, isn't that right? I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure yeah. that's the climax of the book. Um, and so I'm like, what does that say? Like the foundations of the university yeah. are, you know, suspect or like the spiritually evil place or something. Um, to me, once in addition to that, so, I mean, obviously I don't want that to be true because I would not have a job if, if, um, <laughs> if that were the case, but what, I'm interested in is how that carries forward and like has changed. So the thing that comes to my mind is Liberty University, which is a university that has this weird anti-intellectual bent as well. So it's like your university and yet there's this kind of populist like suspicion about um, higher ed. So yeah, those are the things that I just find fascinating that I think we still see, um, the imprint of, of Peretti's work, you know, however many years later. So. Yeah. I love that you brought that up because I haven't really been able to wrap my head around, is it anti-intellectual? Because it also does talk a lot about like Christians have access to truth. And so like trying to find out the truth is important, but you have to do it in a very specific way or else you'll be demon possessed. Um, 
So yeah. I love that you brought that up because I think that one continues to this day. Hey, y'all, wanted to pause for a minute from this interview and give a little clip from our latest Patreon-only episode. Each month, we discuss a piece of evangelical media from the 80s or 90s, and this month, we read and talked about Focus on the Family's Brio Magazine, which is their magazine for teen girls. Here's a clip. And it says, like, you won't have shame if you... All you need to do to not have shame is honor God, pay close attention to Him and His Word, and keep him in your mind throughout every decision and oh, no. every circumstance. Oh, no. Okay, Crispin, you need to go off right now. You need to give us your sermon on why this actually, this advice actually ends up heaping shame on people. Right, because then it's like, well, basically what it's saying is like, if you're doing those things, that means that you're perfect, right? If you are thinking of God and following his ways in every decision in, every decision. in your life, right? Then that then actually you won't is feel shame. right, yeah. Oh. Which is basically saying, like, I mean, that's what we try to do. That's yeah. especially what teenagers try to yeah. do. And that's especially what youth group kids try yep. to do. Is if I can just be perfect enough, then I won't feel bad about myself. And yeah. really, what we need is we need to know that we're okay when we do, when we don't keep God in mind, when we don't follow His word, when we when we sin, right? Because that's when shame shows up. And so if there's no advice for how to deal with that shame when that happens, then it's totally, like, not helpful at all. And, again, it just keeps on because it's like, well, the only reason you're feeling shame is because you screwed up, which I think is really problematic. So. You can hear more when you join as one of our Patreon supporters. We have memberships for $1.50 a month, $4 a month, and $8 a month. And the thing is, those memberships all get you the same content. We wanted it to be accessible for anyone, but realized that people can give in different amounts. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash dlmayfield. Now back to the interview with Leah Payne. stood out for for you when you reread it last year as a church historian yeah what kind of what else stood out to you okay oh well do you have a top one because I kind of want to hear what what your your first your gut response was the first time you reread it well I think I'm really I'm really interested in this idea about there only being a a remnant of Christians who get it right. Oh yeah. And the rest of the Christians are either totally evil or just not, not in the fight, you know, oh, and I love that. you chosen remnant who can win the battle and win the town for God. And I don't yes. know what that means. I don't know what that means. It just always has stood out to me. I love that because it's sort of, well, I think that you see the, echoes of that in left behind, right? Like this kind of oh, yeah. the rapture culture. So I, I always like it, 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 to me, it's like the most American story because it's just a few scrappy, you know, like, well, it's, it's, since I already brought it up, it's like star Wars, right? Like there's the evil empire. And then there's like this little band of, of, um, a few scrappy people. So I think that to me is in addition to it being like a, a Christian trope or a biblical trope um, about like this God's special remnant. But I think it's also like a really American one. We love to be the underdogs, even though we're like definitely a world power. <laughs> um, yeah. So we like to think of ourselves that way. 
Um, one of the things like, as you were talking, I think the thing as a historian, one of the things that I think is interesting is the role of the press in, um, this present darkness. So like right now we're in this weird era wherein people look at, um, many people who, if you wanted to draw like an ideological line from some of the religious right stuff you mentioned in this present darkness, um, to today, many of those folks who would, you know, draw on that tradition are, are very much in the fake news. The mainstream media is like the tool of the liberal elite, um, really skeptical of that. But what you see in this present darkness is a very traditional, I mean, like Superman and Lois Lane version of the press. Like the the press has the power to hold like corrupt institutions to account. So like the, the, that one of the heroes is a reporter and she's actually probably my favorite character in the book if I had to, to pick one. Um, but she's this scrappy, you know, uh, lady reporter who's, yeah. <laughs> you know, who's, um, so to me, I think that's super interesting. Like we, we are in such a different, I mean, there's a lot of similarities and you pointed them out. I'm sure many of your, your, um, other conversation partners have pointed that out too. But one of the distinctions I think is, wow, like the press is not the heroic, um, party in, in many religious right accounts of what's going on right now. Yeah. I even remember, cause I just reread it for this podcast and, uh, so Marshall is like, came from the New York times to this small town to work That's right. the press. and the New York times is never like denigrated. And he ends up like calling some of his old coworkers and they help him out and they're amazing. And I was like, this is weird. My, my dad last year told me the New York times is fake news, you know? So like, <laughs> yeah, it was really interesting to see it pretty positive, but the most positive iteration is the small town press. Yeah, that's right. There's definitely kind of an idyllic idea about small town America mm-hmm. present, which I, I kept thinking when I was reading it, that it did remind me of like, this is where, this is where Clark Kent would have been on staff. He would have interned there, you know, before he goes on to um, be at the Daily Planet. So I think that that is a really strange, that's a strange difference. I mean, a lot of the things are the same, but, but I'm always interested in like, well, what's, what's different now? I mean, it's definitely also written in a pre me too world. Um, oh <laughs> I, you guys have, y'all have probably already talked about well, that. We've, but. we've talked about like the false accusations of rape. Um, but one thing I haven't really talked about much is, um, and this could just be a product of the eighties, which doesn't excuse it, but the way he, he writes women is not great at all. <laughs> I will say again, my favorite character is the same. It's Bernice. She's like this young reporter and she's really awesome. But um, like, it's so grating to me. The main protagonist is Hank. He's a small town pastor and always just mentions his sweet little beautiful wife, Mary. And that's it. Like she's quiet, she's meek and she's beautiful. And like, that's her whole deal. And, and so, you know, Pentecostal from what I can tell, have a very interesting relationship with women and their mm-hmm. role um, in spiritual warfare. Because in this book, a character we never talk about, but it's this old lady who basically prays and gets visions of angels and you know helps save the town. But she's kind of like housebound and really old and really sick. So that's an interesting character. But yeah, the, the way women are treated, it's just kind of horrifying. And most of the women... Um, 
are demon possessed, right? In in this book, and they are used by Satan to bring down godly men. And that would be the defining characteristic of the vast majority of women in, in this book. And that's terrifying. You know what's funny about that um is that so weirdly, that is a very traditional Christian um, <laughs> depiction of women. Oh, no. so, I know um, there's this really, I, oh man, I'm blanking on the title of the book, but um, there's basically a book that argues that the, the definition of witch in um, early modern, the early modern era. So like the era that gave us the Salem witch trials and stuff is the definite definition of witch and the definition of woman. If you put them together, um, it, it, there is a ton of overlap. So basically- wow this idea that we associate women with like the, the dangerous side of spirituality. There's a whole body of literature on that. One of the things that I think is really interesting about that is in the Pentecostal tradition, um, women, the, the access that they have to power, if they have it, and it, that's a big if, but is based on a personal experience with the divine, you know, an experience with the Holy spirit. So that is so fascinating. Like the idea that, that they're somehow more dangerous, um, in some ways it's true, right? Because if you're, if you're going to disrupt a traditional hierarchy, you have to go big. And so you have to go with God. (laughs) And so, um, I think that that is really interesting. You know, when I think of the women in, in, um, in Peretti's book, I think of them as, um, to me, they're like noir characters. So I love noir. I, one of my favorite shows ever is Veronica Mars, which is excellent, um, noir television. But one of the conditions is that you need to have these, uh, very, very exaggerated caricatures of good and evil. Um, and so the women, I mean, like the, and now I'm blanking on the professor's name. What is her name? Langstrat. 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 Oh, she's such a femme fatale, right? Like she's <laughs> beautiful and she's got like, I just like red lipstick. And, you know, so she is this very like, you just, Humphrey Bogart should see her and like run the other way, you know, because she's definitely dangerous, um, but very sexy too. And then the, the wife is like the kind of damsel in distress. I mean, she's, I would like to hear, you know how, um, Wide Sargasso Sea that does, um, is it that book that, that does like Jane Eyre from the perspective of the, the insane, uh, wife. Oh, so yeah. it's this great post-colonial reading of like what it means to, um, anyway, so I would like to hear this present darkness from the wife perspective or actually from Marshall's daughter. Now I'm blanking on her name too. I should have just like Sandy. Yeah. Yeah. Like Sandy. So she is like victimized in really terrible ways in the plot. Like what if the story is totally different if you tell it from her perspective? So there's have to be some author somewhere who's willing to do do that. that. Oh my gosh. If anybody is listening, you want to write some fanfic (sighs) from the perspective of Sandy, I think we should go for it. Okay. This is all so amazing. I do want to say, is there anything else from your interview with Preddy that you wanted to share with us? Oh, okay. I do. because I'm not sure if this will end up in, in the book that I'm writing, but I asked him and I was on the phone with him and, um, and someone who works with him. And, um, I said, you know, when the left behind series became popular, it was everywhere. There were like left behind toasters and left behind, I don't know, like Sunday school literature and left behind 
um, I, everything, probably water. I'm, I'm going to guess that there were like left behind, you know, go kits, go bags. Like if it actually happens, yeah. you know, buy this a gazillion dollar, whatever. And, and I said, I don't remember that from this present darkness. Like, why didn't you monetize this? Because it could have easily happened. And the guy who was on the phone with me laughed really hard and said, Leah, I've asked him that several times. Like, why didn't you do that? Um, and he said something really interesting. Um, he said, well, you know, I, so I asked him, why didn't you do like a Bible study? Because everyone was reading it and why, why didn't you do it? And he said, well, I just figured you should just read the Bible, right? Like, don't, don't, uh, I'm not going to produce anything. Like the Bible study is the Bible. And I have puzzled over that many times. He's hard to get a hold of. I don't know if I'll be able to talk with him again. But um, to me, that was a really interesting response. So that is for your listeners to do with what they will. But he did have an opportunity to like really big time cash in on it. And he didn't. Yeah. And there's lots of rumors um, going around about like why there's never been a movie. Yeah. This present darkness. There's a YouTube video of this pastor we just found who like rates and reviews books and he rated and reviewed this present darkness. And he He said like Steven Spielberg bought the rights, but then like trashed them because he doesn't want Christianity, you know, out. What? I love that conspiracy theory. That can't be true, but I love it so much. Oh my goodness. And you go on like the interesting internet. You can find like some mock-ups of like some artists trying to do like this is what the demons would look like in this present darkness. Oh my and goodness. He's had other of his works turn into movies. Um I haven't watched any of them yet because I actually hate anything slightly scary and the book scared oh. the crap out of me enough. Um, but I think all of that is really interesting. Why, why his big hit hasn't been turned into a movie. It's just totally boggles my mind. Yeah. He's sort of like the Stephen King. I'm sure somebody else has mentioned that, but he's the Stephen King yeah. of our, our, you know, of our little subculture. Yeah. yeah. And so it is kind of surprising because I mean, I don't know it, but I, I I'm with you. I don't know if I could handle I, I like a scary movie, but that one was so iconic in my own upbringing that I don't think I could handle it. Um, uh, and also, how are you going to make the angels look? I just don't know. That, um, yeah, I, I don't know how you make them not look silly. Sort of like the Twilight movies where it's like in the book, it it looks a certain way in your imagination. Yeah. And then when you see it, it's just funny. Yeah. <laughs> so. Vampire effect. Right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I... We just want to ask really quick, what is the book you're working on that includes oh, interviews? Uh, I'm working on a book about uh, the influence of enter- uh, entertainment in uh, on evangelicalism. So, yeah, that broadly. And it, uh, it, it's been fascinating to me. Um, so I'll look forward to putting more of it out there and, and sharing more of it in the near future. That's awesome. And I really feel like you have just validated this entire project because you said that this present darkness has been so influential. And that's how I viewed it as someone squarely in the culture. And I have just been kind of shocked at how nobody has really um, engaged with it in the way that scrutinizes the effect and the importance of it. And, you know, what what are some of the possible ramifications of being steeped in, in this worldview that he has? I think you're absolutely right. I mean, to me, 
so I've told a few people, you know, I got a chance to talk to Frank Peretti. So people who don't know who he is are like, okay, congratulations. Mm-hmm. But people who know who he is uh, have the same reaction where it's like, what? Oh my goodness. You know, so if you know who he is, you know who he is. I mean, he's a very powerful voice. Um, but for the people who are on the outside, I'm like, yeah, too bad you don't know how awesome this is. Um, so I've, I've talked to people, you know, that maybe are a little bit more um, well-known kind of in the general American culture. But for our version, the, this little subculture, it's it's not, first off, it's not a little subculture, it's massive, but, um, and it's a huge potential voting block. So that's something to pay attention to. But mm-hmm. for the people, you know, who know who he is, he's just, uh, there's nobody who can top him, I don't think. Wow. I love it. Okay. I'm trying to think of like, what is the last question I want to ask you? And (laughs) you can feel free to answer this any way you want. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't want to answer, but as someone who does come from a charismatic background, I just want to know, um, after you, you know, heard this book for the first time when you were in fifth grade, did you like see demons or angels or did you try to see them? Did you ever get a good parking spot and be like, that was an angel? Just, just did anything like that happen for you? Oh my, what, that is a great question. So thank you for asking it. Um, okay. So I'll say this. I, that, that book was so formative for me. I remember this one time and and I, I can't be the only one who this has happened to. In fact, I know I'm not. I woke up from a nap and I was probably like 13 or so. And everyone was gone from the house. So it was legal for them to be gone because I was old enough. But um, I didn't know where everybody was. And it was quiet outside. It was summer and the windows were open. And I was definitely sure that like there had been a rapture and I had been left behind. This is before the Left Behind books came out. Yeah. So um, it was that formative for me. And I, I think that, um, I didn't see any demons or, or angels. Um, but I think that to me, the, the power of this present darkness and other forms of entertainment that are like, you know, like that is that it just made the world enchanting. You know, it was, it, it made it a magical, and I, I hate to even use the word magical because if you know, this is a deep dive, but that word was like a no-no in, in Pentecostal and charismatic circles. But to me, it made it magical, like anything could happen. And I didn't know, you know, how I was, I was a part of something really big. And so that, I think, you know, a lot of times people read his work and they think this is like, they, they might be horrified by the alignment with the religious right and, um, some of the political things that, that things that people do with his work. But I think that if you just stop there with the analysis, then you miss its power because its power is not actually in, you know, any particular issue, but it's in that feeling that you get, um, that, that entire world. Um, so to me, that, that's what happened to me. Yeah. So it, I, what I hear you saying is you realize you're a part of like a cosmic story, right? Mm-hmm. And that is really powerful. And um, it doesn't have to be all wrong uh, or all right, but it is an entrance into recognizing there's more to the world than just what we can intellectually see and observe. And yeah, I think a lot of people from Western cultures in particular are hungry for an entryway into into that kind of belief system. 
I know I really resonated with it, but it gave me so many nightmares. And I also felt like a second class citizen because I never saw a demon. Not once, Leah. I know. It's not sad. You know what? I didn't either. Did you wait? Wait, I have a follow up. Did you know yeah. somebody who had? I mean, like, was there some anything to? Oh yeah, to? people saw a lot of them. Every. I, would, I tell people if you want to hear like a really good ghost story, you have to talk to a Pentecostal because they wouldn't call it that, but it will scare you. Yes, very much. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just so funny because I I worked in some communities so like. I don't even really want to talk about it publicly because it is sort of embarrassing, but I have worked with like Muslim animistic tribal refugee communities and some Christians who have volunteered in those spaces are always like, Oh, I just felt this like spiritual darkness. I'm just like, I love it here. I don't feel like, <laughs> you know, I just, um, and I always felt like a bad Christian and I was like, that's extremely racist to me i you know i think there's a lot more going on there than than what was being said but that's the kind of community i grew up in (laughs) well i think that you just like totally hit the nail on the head for why that can't be the in order to to you know work toward a a world that looks more like the just kingdom that that you know, Christians believe that God will usher into this world. You have to have more than just your own personal feeling of something, because that is so, at least it, by my way of looking things, that is just so heavily influenced by, in that case, I think you're totally right. Like certain racist ideas about, and, and just ignorant ideas about, um, what other religions and other cultures are about. And so you just, you have to be able to rely on more, but I think everybody, like if you're in the charismatic world, everybody knows somebody who's just like, you can, it's like three, two, one, and here comes the comment, you know, that is totally based on their own, like personal take on something, but then you put God behind it. That's the stuff that give people like, what's his name? He's always causing trouble. John MacArthur, you know, um, he still goes after the Pentecostals long after, you know, they, they've become more acceptable in mainstream evangelicalism. But, um, that's the, that's what gives credence to that argument that they're like, you know, worshiping the devil and when they, when they're speaking in tongues, when they say stuff that it's just like, what are you talking about that? You know? So anyway, I'm with you on that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. And where can people find out more about weird religion, your podcast? Oh, thank you so much. They can just go to weirdreligion.com. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, but weirdreligion.com has um, episodes and and anywhere you listen to a podcast. So thank you. Okay. Thank you so much, Leah. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Prophetic Imagine. You can follow me at K underscore underscore Mayfield and Danielle at D underscore L underscore Mayfield. And you can email us at propheticimaginationstation at gmail.com. You can support this podcast and get access to our Patreon-only podcast at patreon.com slash dlmayfield.